brought my little friend. It's a bring your bonsai to church day today, you know, and I, I saw him. I looked at him. He was at my kitchen window there, and I just thought about yesterday when I took him to Camp Hill and we uh, taught seminary students or ministry students, I should say, and I, I took him along. And I'm just feeling the same thing now that I felt then, and, and that is to just explain something so that we can really know how to fully engage the Lord as, as he ought to be engaged. How many of you think the Lord deserves more of us than, and better from us? And yet, we have nothing in our flesh to give him, really, you know. It's all his amazing work in us. But I believe, without a shadow of a doubt, that the scriptures teach that every man, every person is given a measure of faith when we enter this world. A measure of faith. And I also believe that probably the number one job of any parent is to preserve this faith. You know, like, next to introducing our children to Jesus Christ, the, the thing that makes it so much easier to do so is that we nurture the, the measure of faith that they have. And we, we stand at the couch, and we coax them to jump, and we're like, we'll catch you, we promise, you know. And... Um, you know, it'd be a sad parent that would just say, come on, come on, and then, oh, you know, turn away, you know, about the time they're ready to jump. When they're walking, we're trying to walk or learning to walk, we encourage them, come on, you can do it. And, and uh, that measure of faith that they have causes us to be able to get out of bed in the morning, to be honest with you. You know, without a measure of faith, you just lose all hope and you just would stay in bed, you know. And... Um, Especially as trials and testings and troubles come into our lives, you know. But so, so we're given a measure of faith, and, and we need to preserve this. We really do. And the thing that I find amazing is that because of the age that we live in that is dictated by rationalism and et cetera, you know, we kind of fail to realize that there's an enemy whose soul desire is to destroy my faith right my my little seedling my little plant the little thing that i have there is an enemy he, he's called the accuser he's called the devil he's called satan and uh he's all throughout history he's all throughout the scriptures and his work is everywhere but his sole desire is to destroy my little plant by the way, Joe Ranney gave me this for Christmas last year. and Joe, I didn't kill him yet, you know, and he, he's doing okay. But he might need a little pruning, might need a little watering, and a whole lot more love. But the thing is, is that my faith is much like this little plant. It, it is very tender, and it needs to be nurtured. It needs to be encouraged. And yes, it needs to be watered and pruned and fertilized. And I'm wondering about the soil condition right now. And, you know, the thing is, so, so um, everything in life from the adversary is designed to destroy that thing before it even grows. Everything. Literally, every action of the accuser, his lies, his deceptions... When he throws at us things that, that knock us off our feet, 
The whole design is to destroy or to cut short our faith. But to God, our faith is more precious than gold. Faith in him. Let me just tell you that Israel's number one problem all throughout their biblical history has been their refusal to love God with all their heart, all their soul, and all their mind, and all their strength. And the reason is because they got turned aside by things that the adversary threw at them. And it caused them to look to other gods or to look at a different direction. But it's just distraction. It's just designed to distract us. So when we're, when we're fully engaged in distraction, the enemy can come in and lop off our faith, you know, in a moment, you know. So, so, so the thing is, is that if the enemy can destroy my faith, it's only one step from losing my faith to actually losing my soul. I mean, you, you, with no faith in God or no faith toward God, uh, it's so easy to, to absolutely just turn back, go home, pull the covers up over. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? You understand me? It makes sense that our children, as they are growing, and, you know, here we are and Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and, you know, some kids don't even get a chance to be born. This is the first Sunday in a post-Roe v. Wade world, but the battle continues. So the problem is that while the enemy is trying to cut some children's lives off from the very beginning, those of us who are privileged to escape that and are born into this world... The adversary is always trying to destroy our faith. And when you lose faith, and then someone comes along and shows you or shares with you Jesus, you have nothing to hold towards him. So the goal with our children is to nurture their faith and protect their faith and encourage their faith until the time when the Holy Spirit connects it inside of them and they are able to, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm convinced that when you hear the gospel, there's not just a message, it's a releasing of a mighty power. And the scriptures teach us we go from faith to faith. So the gospel brings faith with it and God gives it as a gift to us. But it connects with the faith that was given to us at birth. And when the faith that comes from the gospel connects with the faith that we have been given in the beginning of our life, a new life can begin, and God can nurture it. And so trials and testings, um, they serve a purpose to prune, and they serve a purpose, and that is to keep us growing and thriving no one likes to go through trials. No one likes to go through testing. But the whole purpose that God allows it, the reason he allows it is because it strengthens our faith. So here's one of the things that God will do sometimes, and it's so hard for us to understand. It's one of those things about God that's like, 
if you really were a good father, you would just eliminate all bad things from my life and I would never have anything bad happen to me. But in his greatness and vastness, there is a showdown, a battle, a war that is waged. And there's something about holding on to your faith when all hope has been gone, like Abraham, who against all hope, in hope, believed God. And God granted him a promise. So the reason I'm saying this this morning is I want us to know that the battle for our souls is actually over our faith. And so when we talk about putting on the full armor of God, the weaponry is defensive. It's all about protecting us because we win this battle by not falling. We win this battle by standing. We win this battle. Now, there's a way to engage the enemy, and that's a more advanced topic for another day. But for right now, I just want you to understand that the weapons of our warfare, they are not fleshly or human because the warfare is not fleshly or human. And all of it is designed to do one thing, and that is to protect our faith and our trust and our love for God. And in that mixture, in that moment, when the, when the heat of the battle is on and we have this breastplate of righteousness and this belt of truth and this sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and this helmet of salvation, when we have these things in place and our, our feet have boots that are prepared to stand on the gospel, to share the gospel, when we are suited up properly, then all hell can be against us. And we can still stand. And we can still stand. I'm here to share with you today, those who are in the building and those who are online watching, or those who watch at a later date, you have something that the enemy wants to destroy. And you have something that God wants to encourage. He wants to nurture. He wants to build. Because it's not just about being saved. It's not just about going to church. It's about having a thriving, loving relationship with God. Living in the love of God. Filled with faith. Filled with courage. Filled with strength. That's one of the reasons why we gather to worship is because not only is he due and worthy of our worship, but it, it, we give voice. We hear ourselves in in a corporate setting with other voices beside us, it doesn't matter if they're loud or soft or quiet or good or off-tune. It really doesn't matter. What matters is that we hear ourselves and our voice in the midst of our brothers and sisters lifting our hands and worshiping God because absolutely nothing defeats the enemy like refusing to let the enemy quench our faith, but to stand and declare Jesus as Lord. 
So if we do nothing else here today, I just want you to, to carry that one home with you. Because I guarantee you, if you're not in the middle of a trial now, now you will at one point soon find yourself. I'm not prophesying that. I'm just telling you, I know how it goes. There will be trials and tests. Yeah. I was walking down the aisle, down the aisle, down the alley with my little faith in my hand. And um, one of our neighbors here in the community walking their dogs said, hey, is that like a, a prop for church? And I said, yeah. I said, this is my faith. And she said, oh, cool. You know, <laughs> I said, uh, you know, um, you could come with me and you could see the full presentation if you want. She said, yeah, I guess I could, but you know. We don't know how simple the attack on our faith begins, how simple it begins and how innocent it seems. But I guarantee you, we are living in days when the enemy of our souls is relentless in trying to destroy our faith. Amen? That was not very encouraging. It is true nonetheless. So I, I just want to encourage you that in the dark day, in the day when everything is coming in, you, don't, you want to pull the covers over your head. You don't want to get out of bed. You don't want to face the day. In the day when all the pressure is coming in and coming on, the Lord has given us a way to suit up and armor up. Maybe a little bit more about that later in this service. Amen? Praise God. Okay. Hey, um, we're in the middle of this uh, one in a thousand mandate, or, and people are starting to fill their cards out and bring them in, send them in. I was um, privileged to be in... Um, Global Awakenings teaching time on Monday, then on Tuesday I was with Catalyst Pastors, and yesterday I was privileged to teach ministry students, and you know, I've just been all over the place this week, and it's been a big week, full week, but I'm so encouraged by what God is doing as we just share with people, would you like to change the spiritual climate? So let's just say that uh, my tree gets no water. It won't be long until he dries up and falls away. So think of prophetic words like uh, words that are able to water and nurture uh, us and encourage us. So um, today, I just want to remind you that you can still sign up for the one of a thousand mandate, which is committing to speaking and releasing words of grace to begin to change our communities. And uh, people are filling those cards out, and then they're getting a phone call from my lovely daughter, and she's asking questions like, how can I help you? What do you need? And, and she's getting feedback from all of that, you know. So um, um, please consider taking that card. By the way, you can take a handful of them. You can hand them out to people. This is not a cornerstone thing. This is beyond that, Right? Our next level of cards are being printed right now, and they have a QR code on it, so you can just take a picture of it, and it takes you to the website, and you can fill in and sign up online. Otherwise, we need to get the cards back, so you need to fill the card out, give us the card back, or take a picture of your signature and send it to us or whatever you, you want to do there. But please, 
consider becoming one of a thousand prophetic voices. Amen. How's everybody doing? You seem quiet today. You just seem, you're just in a contemplative mood right now. As you can see, my wife uh, decided to go to another church today. I'm, you know, I mean, it, sooner or later it happens, you know. <laughs> Your wife just says, hey, I'm going to another church today. I don't know what you're doing, you know. But I said, well, I, I do have a day job, you know. So I'll be over at Cornerstone. And she's in Dillsburg preaching Sanctity of Human Life. She was uh, invited to go there. But, you know, when Judy's not around, you know, I, I dress in my casual clothes and don't shave and it's a wonderful life. No, I mean <laughs> digging deeper, deeper and deeper. If you would turn with me to Ephesians chapter six. And as you're turning there, let me just ask you this question. Would you consider uh, joining Cornerstone Fellowship, making calling this your home? I can put my tree over here. Don't worry, I'll take you home. I was thinking about putting small Christmas balls on it. Wouldn't it be just just the cutest little Christmas tree, you know? Yeah, all right, all right. I don't think it's as green as it used to be. A little concern for it. So those of you who have green thumbs, you can come and bless him. In um, <clears throat> the course of my lifetime, 30 years ago, when Judy and I and others gathered and we planted this church, when, when I became the pastor of the church, my first official visit um, as pastor representing Cornerstone Fellowship was to our local pregnancy center long before Judy worked there. And I just went in and I sat down and the director at that time of the uh, pregnancy center said, how can I help you? And I said, it's not that. I was wondering how we can help you. And so she began to share with me the needs of the pregnancy center. And um, my heart was already bent in that direction. And I'm just so thankful to say that I've lived long enough to see one of the worst acts of the Supreme Court overturned. And if there's only one thing that comes out of that is that our system of government can work. In other words, in time, a correction of a great misapplication uh, of laws. And if you want to talk to me afterwards, I can tell you what, that, what all that involved. But if you knew that how that Roe versus Wade was decided, you would know that there is no way in Gehenna that a, a Supreme Court would rule that way today, you know, because there's a lot of things that went wrong. But the Supreme Court overturned it. What does that change? It just fixed a bad ruling. I'm not sure that it saved lives. I mean, it certainly has saved some because there are some people who all of a sudden questioned their rationale about abortion and et cetera, you know. And uh, so there were some lives changed, but, you know, everybody's scurrying to redo something in their own state, and that's a subject for another day. But I just want to tell you that I believe in life. I really believe 
that God is, you know, he said before Israel, he said, here's, here's one mountain, and on this mountain, let's just call this one life, and then here's another mountain, let's call this one death. And he said, pick one, but I would urge you to choose life. God is a God of choice. He gives us great, great, dangerous ability to choose. And uh, so choosing life is, is always good. There's another thing that we can choose, and it wouldn't seem like that this is connected to that, but it is. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 10, uh, the Apostle Paul says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. There's a choice. There's a choice right there. So I'm going to just stop for a second and ask this question, and then I want to attempt to answer it. First of all, what does it mean to be strong in the Lord? And then secondly, how do I do it? How can I become strong in the Lord? Is there anyone besides me who would like to be much stronger in the Lord, right? You know, I'm a bodybuilder. Did you know that? You're laughing. You're, you're just looking at the outside here. But I actually build the body of Christ, and so I'm a bodybuilder. And if you take seven men and line them up, you're going to find seven different kinds of body styles and abilities. Most of them could probably pin me to the ground. Because I'm sort of the European, you know, model. Not so much the American soldier, the American policeman, the American farmer variety of six foot something men, right? You know. So um, if this if this struggle was against flesh and blood, I'd have I'd probably you know be no match. Well, what if we just said, okay, well, maybe this person is stronger, but you could be a little more smart, and maybe you could outwit the strong man. And um, I found out that strong men can be pretty smart too, you know? So if this conflict is not with flesh and blood... Thank God, because I wouldn't win. What is it with then? And Paul tells us in verse number 11, he said, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand or withstand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle. Can I just tell you something? I am so sick and tired of seeing Christians getting waylaid, attacked, and knocked over because their faith was assaulted and they couldn't stand. I really want to see everybody to be armored up and suited up and ready to stand and withstand in the evil day. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against dark against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this present age. Spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. 
So my enemy is not a physical one. He's a spiritual one. And so the battle is going to be a spiritual battle. So I just want you to think for just one second with me. What does it mean to be strong in the Lord? This, this is where I want to just start. Before we get into the armor, it's like, I want to be strong in the Lord. How do I do that? What does that mean? So um, I know this. I'm, I'm smart enough to know that I can't be strong in you. You can't be strong in me. Together, there's some strength, but, but you know, the option is either I'm strong in myself. That's not a very good option because, as David reminded us a while ago, we're so weak. I could be strong in myself, but I can't be strong in you, and you can't be strong in me. If my battle is with flesh and blood, which is code in biblical speak for human people with, you know, skin and blood. If the strength that I needed was just simply in the flesh, in my humanness, there will always be a stronger person. Every reigning champion in wrestling, boxing, Football eventually gets replaced by someone stronger, always. So if my battle is not with flesh and blood, then I must need something that is superhuman, something above human. If it's not with humans, then there has to be superhuman strength given to me somehow. Like the psalmist who said, my help comes from the Lord. So being strong in the Lord must mean that I have superhuman strength that is given to me to fight an enemy his, who is superhuman in his strength. And what's more, you can't see him. You can see his work, but you can't see him. So to be strong in the Lord, I need to have superhuman strength to fight against a superhuman enemy who I cannot see. So because that's so difficult, we usually just fight with each other because it vents the frustration. And by the way, when David was standing on the battlefield, it was easy for him to see the enemy. King David would say, aha, the enemy just follow his arrows. The arrows will lead you to the enemy. David teaches us in the Psalms a lot about warfare, and then God makes this statement. He says, I, the Lord, am a God of warfare. Hello. This is not um, Christianity light right now. This is, this is mature stuff, you know. God is a God of warfare, which is to say that he has an enemy and he knows that his enemy is ruthless, and yet God is so big that he's not threatened by his enemy, and he allows his enemy 
to fight against something that God loves so much, which is humans. Because the enemy, from the beginning, turns his sights. I want to say on mankind, but I'm going to just tell you straight up my opinion. This is my opinion. From the beginning, the enemy targeted the woman. Not because she was weaker, but because she was more discerning. She discerned the serpent. Adam didn't even know he was in the garden. Now, corporately, Adam carried the command to not eat from the free, a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam was the first one created. He's the corporate head. So the serpent was trying to get to Adam through Eve. When Eve was called to be aside Adam, and the two of them were to be protecting their garden. But a serpent got in there and infected the human race with his hatred, his bigotry, his racism, his poverty, his disease and death, and all these things that we struggle with. And God made a promise to the woman, I will let your seed defeat his seed, the serpent, in a date in the future. I will give you the privilege of destroying him. Can I time out for a second? We just commercial break here, right? Okay. Why did God create mankind in the first place? So many of us believe that God created mankind, and if you hear our theology, it sounds like he created mankind to save him from the very beginning, which sort of sounds like built-in imperfection. And God created mankind upright, beautiful, wonderful. I believe, personally, that I could show you in Scripture that God so loved his son that he created a world from which he would cultivate a bride for his son. Now, the way we usually hear that is that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Well, that's dealing with the salvation part that was needed. But in the big scheme of things, and I can't tell you I'm in God's head, but I will tell you this, I believe that what God was doing from the beginning was creating a bride for his son. The serpent attacked and mankind was forever changed until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the seed of the woman crushed the head, you can get excited now, of Satan in the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, folks, we gather on, on Sundays every week because of that one fact alone. It's enough. It is enough. 
to keep worshiping him, to keep serving him. Because he actually does have a plan. He actually does know. So what he's doing. But So, so the, here's the thing is that uh, <clears throat> the serpent figured it out. It's like, if I want to get to God's heart, I will attack mankind. If I want to get to Adam's heart, I will attack his wife. It's all about love. It's all about making someone you hate hurt and thereby creating angst and pain for the enemy of your soul. Well, I've got great news. Jesus actually defeated Satan. He's actually already destroyed. And I know that the weak response is because in the back of our mind, we're thinking, but it sure doesn't seem like it. Because it just looks like to me that Satan is having a field day everywhere you look. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to set this record straight one time for all time right here today, this Sunday morning. Jesus' battle is over and he's won. <laughs> Bad news is your battle is not over. <laughs> Satan, like a roaring lion, is still attacking those whom Jesus Christ loves, who the Father loves so much. Even the church itself is tempted, and this is why I start with our faith, even the church is tempted to say, we have got to dumb down the gospel we have got to water down the gospel because people are so broken that if you preach the cross and the blood and the uh, and the empty tomb and the ascension people can't handle that they run the other way let me tell you something people need deliverance and deliverance comes through the victory of the cross and through the victory of the tomb and through the victory of the ascension and jesus is at the right hand of the father ever living to make intercession for us deliverance comes no other way than through the gospel of jesus christ so if my strength can't be in me and my strength can't be in you then my strength has to be in something else and it has to be superhuman because my enemy is superhuman otherwise i am just using my human ingenuity to try to outwit the serpent who has been deceiving and destroying civilizations for thousands of years I don't stand a chance. I'm going to just tell you, Satan, you want. I, there, there is no chance in Gehenna. I like that. Because I, I want to say the other thing. But, I, you know, there is no way that I can defeat the serpent in and of myself. And if you think you can, you are already deceived. So if I, can't if I can't defeat him myself and I can't defeat him with you, then I have to go to someone or something that is superhuman to defeat a superhuman enemy. By the way, I just want to remind you that Satan was defeated at the cross not because 
God wrestled him to the ground and nailed him to the cross. How I wish that were true. I mean, that, that's my flesh. I, just, I wish that Jesus would have said, listen, Satan, make my day, you know? And, and, and Jesus just full-on wrestle him and then throw him on the cross and nail him there and let him die. That's the way I like victories. I like them nice, clean, and neat. But Satan was defeated, not by God out-wrestling the serpent. Satan was defeated by forgiving mankind. Which means that you and I can have relationship with God again. And with relationship with God again, it's like Garden of Eden 2.0. I get to live in relationship with God Almighty. I can spend time with him. He will talk to me. He will encourage me. He will strengthen me. And I will get strong in the Lord. But getting strong in the Lord doesn't happen like you think. I'm thinking, like, since Jesus doesn't mind pouring out his blood for his innocent blood for my guilty blood, would would you, Jesus, would you just give me a blood transfusion? Just download into me your righteousness. Just download into me your superhuman ability. Just download into me something that creates in me superhuman ability. God says, you know, I've tried that before. It's not going to work. What I'm going to do, Pastor Rich, is I'm going to leave you as weak as you ever were. But I'm going to be strong in you this way. We're going to put armor on you. Spiritual Kevlar. Arrows cannot penetrate. So um, when we look at the uh, list of the armor there, he says... Gird your waist with truth. Put on this breastplate to protect those vital organs with righteousness. Put on these boots with a preparation to share the gospel of peace. And take this shield of faith to quench all those flaming arrows or lies that come against you from the adversary. Take this sword. It's a dagger. It's a tool of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God. The Holy Spirit can use the Word of God to defeat the enemy in my life. Now, my problem with most the time when we go to this passage I'm thinking like I can slip this on and I can just say, so I'm praying on a helmet of salvation. I am praying on a breastplate of righteousness. I am praying on a belt of truth. I am praying on the sword of the spirit and the boots of the gospel. I'm praying these things on. And you can do that and that's okay, but I think that that's to misunderstand Paul. Paul is saying this, you need to have truth in your heart. You need to have righteousness in your heart. You need to have peace in your heart. You need to have the word of God in your heart. And if you have those things, all the gates of hell cannot prevail against you, no matter how weak you are. And you say, but, but the problem, Pastor, for me is that, um, you know, I'm not righteous. 
and I've been deceived by truth and what. So here's where you get to be involved. We get to be involved because according to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not by works of our righteousness that we have been saved, but according to the work that he has done, and he shares his righteousness. He imputes it to us. But then as we begin to live and move and have our being, and we go through the process of the hardships and the trials, and our faith is tested, it is also strengthened. And as it is strengthened, then all of a sudden we start receiving righteousness. We start showing righteousness. We start making righteous decisions. We start living righteous lives. We start sharing righteousness. I believe that if I could just put righteousness on like a cloak it would be so much easier but the Holy Spirit and the gift that God has given us is enough to equip us to do the hard things I know I'm talking to Americans and we don't want anything to be hard 